It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, you're listening to Popcorn Pals. In this episode, I'm joined by Lee Livingstone to discuss Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. Part one. I'm Timmy Fland, movie buff, and this is Popcorn Pals, a popcorn podcast with Lee and Tim spin-off, where I'll be joined by a rotation of movie-loving legend guest hosts to discuss the latest and greatest new big screen releases. It's the same salty fun with some new flavors, but listener, for this episode, the band is back together as I'm joined by the one and only Wick. Wickedly talented, <laughs> Lee Livingstone. Welcome back, my friend. How could you stuff up my name, Adele Nazim? Adele Nazim. Living Lord. Or John Travolta. <laughs> Lee Living Livingstone. That's what it could be. <laughs> How are you? Welcome back. Oh, my God. I'm good. I'm good. I'm a bit nervous. Oh, you shouldn't be. The caliber of guest hosts that you've had on the show has been absolutely incredible. I've been listening along and I think I might be out of a job, you know. Oh, don't be ridiculous. This is why, you know, when we discuss you going on maternity leave and you were like, uh, you know, if, if oh, I'll come back, I'll come back and I go, yeah, you just tell me when, where, how, and why, and what movie. And it makes so much sense that it's Mission Impossible, uh, Dead Reckoning Part 1, because we're such huge Tom Cruise fans yeah. um, and huge fans of this franchise in general. I feel like we have a caveat, though. Like, every time I say I'm a huge Tom Cruise fan, I always be like, <laughs> ah, of his work, of his work. Yes. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, yes, not, not the 2005 couch jumping Oprah nonsense yeah, and stuff like yeah. that. Scientology, we don't discuss yeah, those, those little kind of things, parts of him. Controversial opinions, no, thank you. We'll keep it to Movie Man Tom. Yeah, Movie Man exactly. Tom. No, but you've had some incredible guest hosts on this little project of yours. <laughs> so patronising, this little project of yours. <laughs> yeah, James and Anthony from Raiders of the Lost podcast. Wow. Yeah, they were awesome. Katie and 
OT, our friends from For Your Reference podcast. You welcome back Nick LeBarro, Dave Lee, some incredible names there. Yeah, Peter Gray as well for a Jennifer Lawrence romantic comedy mm. romp. I've, I've had such a great time chatting with all these different voices and opinions within a, the community that we love so much, right, within the podcast community that we've been so lucky to be a part of for more than four years yeah. now. So it's almost like, you know, oh, we just get to, I get to talk to my friends, our yeah. friends with, with the new format. So I'm having the best time, but gosh, I'm so glad to have you back on Lee, what do you reckon? Shall we get on with the show? Oh, let's do it. I couldn't resist. <laughs> well, I won't need to put in the splice of music yeah. then. You've got it covered. Well, look, in Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, Ethan Hunt and his IMF team embark on their most dangerous mission yet, if you can believe it, to track down a terrifying new weapon that threatens all of humanity before it falls into the wrong hands. With control of the future and the fate of the world at stake and dark forces from Ethan's past closing in, a deadly race around the globe begins. Confronted by a mysterious, all-powerful Emily. <laughs> oh, watch out for that, Emily. <laughs> watch out for she's Emily. She's all-powerful. Yeah, of course. She's nasty. <laughs> Let me start that again. Confronted by a mysterious, all-powerful enemy, Ethan is forced to consider that nothing can matter more than his mission, not even the lives of those he cares about. Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1. You know, that's going to be a mouthful to say over mm. and over. It's directed by Christopher McQuarrie. From a screenplay by Macquarie, Eric Gendrison, and based on the TV series created by Bruce Geller. It stars, of course, Tom Cruise, Hayley Atwell, Ving Rames, Simon Pegg, Rebecca Ferguson, Vanessa Kirby, S.I. Morales, Tom Clementif, Henry Cherney, and Carrie Elwes. What a cast. Incredible cast there. It's insane. You know, I was thinking when you read back that synopsis, it's quite comically dramatic, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Did you find the premise of this film comically dramatic? I felt it was a bit over the top. Oh, I mean, look, even the name of this mysterious enemy is called The Entity, which is so dramatic and overzealous just in terms of its name. But I kind of want to start with what, what you're saying here in terms of how over the top mm. it is. I felt like the film from a tonal perspective felt very self-aware of the type of ridiculousness that it was leaning into. Yeah. Did you feel that was like a, a new thing that the, the franchise hadn't really lent into before so Yeah, much? Um, I'm glad you said that because it, it hasn't. And this follows this trend that we've talked about on the podcast before of action films not taking themselves too seriously. Like they mm, hedge their mm. bets with the audience that if it comes across cliched or it takes itself too earnestly, um, oh, no, we meant to do that. We're taking the piss out of the mm. genre. You know, don't worry, it was meant to be funny. Like it, they kind of throw these funny <laughs> things in to kind of cover their asses, if that makes sense. Mm, and, yeah, mm. I felt that that was not in keeping with the previous Mission Impossible films that we've seen. They're really good action films. Mm. And I don't know why they didn't just lean into that. Of course there is comic relief in the form of, Simon Pegg as Benji, we see that. Yeah, Benji. yeah, he's he's welcome comic relief. He does what he does so well, but yeah, I felt in this film that they leaned into that kind of slapsticky um, situational humor a lot more. How did you feel about that? It's one of the main things that I wanted to discuss with you because 
when I was watching the movie, like, look, I had the best time watching this film. It is a wild ride yeah. and it definitely leads into the action stuff, which we'll, we'll talk about all that incredible stunt work and choreography and all that sort of uh, wonderful, wonderful filmmaking stuff. Mm. But the comedy aspect, that tonal thing made me sit up in my seat and go, whoa, whoa, hold on. Let me just settle into this a little bit because it was more than just Benji breaking the ice mm. or cutting through the tension. It was more than one character. He kind of lost his gig in some way because all the characters, Ethan Hunt himself was leaning into some, I don't know, romantic comedy vibes yeah. from time to time with Hayley Atwell's character, who, by the way, we'll talk about that in characters, but their chemistry was incredible. Yeah. And it, it made me pose two questions like, does this work and why now? I think in part it worked because the film was so ridiculous from its concept that it needed to just bring it back down in some sort of believable, tangible reality mm. that surely these characters <laughs> think this is as ridiculous as it actually is playing mm. out. So I don't know if I loved it, mm. but it didn't bother me so much. Did it bother you? No, it wasn't unwelcome. Mm. Mm. Okay, it was It was. Fun. It was fun, especially when we come to the character of Grace, played by Hayley Atwell. Her comic timing in mm. this is incredible. She's on the money yes. all the time and yep. it was fantastic. But you're right, when Ethan Hunt does it, it felt a little off mm. because he is so serious and he is so and, – and like they say in this film, the stakes are higher than ever. <laughs> they say that in everything. <laughs> every every well, they always are. They're always saving the world. So that's fine. I mean, in the last yeah. film in Fallout, it was literally a nuclear device that was going to blow up half the world yeah. so yeah this one they're going to make the stakes higher than ever and it just felt like humor maybe didn't fit with that so well mm. especially when you see some of the events play out and the emotional stakes uh, which we won't reveal obviously because we don't want to spoil anything no. there are some some big moments that hit quite hard and then it bounces to humor and it just it just didn't feel quite right. Yeah, I think it also comes down to the fact that the humor layers of this, the comedic layers of this kept popping up quite consistently. Mm. So it wasn't just dialing it up a little bit here and there. It was actually quite consistent yeah. throughout. I mean, there's so much exposition at the beginning of this movie, which take it or leave it, you'll either get lost and never be able to follow <laughs> the movie there and out. But even in those encounters with really senior people within intelligence agencies, they're, they're even mocking the fact that there's an impossible missions unit or, or the IMF. Yeah. What does that stand for? Impossible missions force? Force? force. Yeah. yeah. And so they're like, hold on a minute. What is this? It's impossible. So you just give it to these guys. And I'm like, okay, yeah. they're, they're really leading into this. Yeah. It, it definitely wasn't in keeping with the previous films. And if they want to try something different, you know, mm. more power to them, I guess. I mean, I do want to preface all these comments by saying that we had a really great time watching yeah. this film and, you know, not to, you know, toot our own horn or anything, but we were at the star-studded Sydney premiere on Tom Cruise's 61st birthday, which was quite an experience. And I want to um, I want to shout out to the event department and the Paramount Pictures team mm. and everyone who pulled this event together because it was absolutely mind-boggling how big it was. And they even had Tom Cruise light a fuse that set off all these fireworks. It was It was quite an event. Look, so it, it was really low-key. That's what <laughs> Lee's trying saying. to yeah, tell you. It was you. understated. Yeah. Very classy. 
yeah, it was really understated, nearest and dearest, only a few thousand people <laughs> yeah. crammed into the ICC uh, theatre. What a night, like my gosh. I mean, what a return to movie premieres for you, Lee, after a, a, a small break, <laughs> yeah. after having your little one. You're like, yes, I'm going to pick Mission Impossible <laughs> because Tom Cruise will be there and the whole cast and there's fireworks and stuff. But yeah, I've never been to a premiere like it. And it will forever be one of the most fun Monday nights I've ever had. Yeah. Like my week peaked way too, way too quickly <laughs> way too early. with that one. Yeah, nothing could compare. But it, but it really made you realise, you know, what the shared cinema experience is yeah. like and the passion behind these filmmakers, Tom Cruise, Kristen McQuarrie and, and all the cast and crew there was an electric energy in there. And that electric energy was working so well in tandem with the energy of this film because it's Mm. off the charts, like you said, a wild ride. It really is intense Mm. and you expect nothing less from Tom Cruise. You know, he always wants to deliver his best work. And I think in terms of the action set pieces, he's absolutely outdone himself this time, 100%. I want to go back just quickly to before we start talking about the action and all the stunt sequences. Yeah. Are you talking about the storyline and the complicated exposition? Mm. I found that the characters involved in this film were quite complicated. There was too many in play. There's a lot. And a lot of new ones thrown in as well that you had to get to know. Which I didn't understand why they did that. You know, in a Mission Impossible movies, Mm. of course, they need to keep you guessing who's double-crossing who. Mm. But you have a character like Carrie Elwes's character, and I love him in everything Mm. he does. But I didn't understand the point of him in this film. Yeah, just another voice to like another cook in the kitchen, yeah. you think? Yeah, it was mm. just kind of like he was thrown in at the end to be like, oh, well, well, look, here's a big reveal or here's, you know, something that he's involved in. And, you know, it just didn't mm. seem like it needed to be there, especially when you have Henry Zerny. Yeah, Kittredge coming back from the first exactly. film from back in 96. Exactly. You've got yeah. him in there. He's enough of a senior mm. executive or whatever. I don't even know what Carrie Elwes' character did. I don't know who he was. He was some intelligence guy. <laughs> was he? Some director. He? And then you've also got um, Shay Wiggum and Greg Tarzan Davies, who we saw in Maverick. He he popped up in, in Maverick. With, uh, oh, of Chris. course. Their characters also served very little purpose. These, these characters were too, I guess. Lost puppies, basically. <laughs> law enforcement officers that just kind of chased Ethan Hunt around. And, and couldn't find him catch no. him and yeah. I don't again I don't know who they worked for and oh, yeah. <laughs> do you know who they worked for the CIA I'm just going to well, assume I don't yeah. know and it seemed quite pointless to have them in there running around providing again a bit more of the comic relief in that they could never quite catch up with him and Shay Williams character in particular was a bit of a clown they almost had their own buddy cop yes. side hustle movie going yes on. That's just such a good way yeah. to put it because that's exactly how it felt. Can I just talk about the comedic layers of this again? Mm-hmm. I, I know we've kind of discussed it at length, but I wonder, Lee, because we always talk about the shared cinema experience and how that heightens your way of of experiencing and taking in a movie. Mm-hmm. I wonder if all those extra layers of that comedic relief and that sort of buddy cop angle here was only exacerbated by the fact that we were sharing this movie with thousands and thousands of other people. And so something that you may have 
just brushed past as a passive viewer was just heightened. And I did find it at times maybe just a little distracting at how much people were laughing at this movie. I don't know. <laughs> did you? <laughs> Yeah. Um, I do want to tell you a story and I'll see if this changes your perspective at all. I've I kept this okay, one from you. On. You might have heard it already anyway, but I was listening to a podcast episode of Smartless that's hosted by Jason Bateman, Will Arnett and Sean Hayes from Will and Grace fame. Who knew they were friends? What? Are, I know. That's so um, But their podcast is really funny. It's really funny. I, I recommend you listen to it. But anyway, they had Simon Pegg okay. on recently and he told a story about how he didn't see a script for this film. What? No. So what they did, what Christopher <laughs> McQuarrie and Tom Cruise. <laughs> Sorry. Let me expand. He didn't see the script for a 163-minute yeah. movie? Yeah. So let me expand on this. Okay. So Tom Cruise and Christopher McQuarrie <laughs> planned out all the stunts and all the action sequences that they wanted to do. And then mm-hmm. they built a story in around that. Now. Whoa. Yeah. So how does that now affect your experience of the movie and the story? knowing that it was more of a join the dots story than a planned out written screenplay. Well, it kind of impresses me even more, to be perfectly honest with you, because this movie's pace is unrelenting and does not sit still for very Mm -hmm. long. Obviously that has to do with the countless number of action set pieces. Also just maybe another layer to why I'm so impressed is it's so well known that this movie was plagued by countless COVID-19 restrictions. Mm-hmm. They started filming this when lockdown started to happen. So knowing the fact that they didn't have a script and they were challenged by things of making movies like no one had ever experienced before uh, with the scale and scope that this was with so, many, so much practical filmmaking and filming mm-hmm. on sets and locations, it's wild to think that they didn't have a script to kind of help mm. guide them through that. Well, journey. not until the last minutes, though. Mm. Does that mean it's become just now a vehicle or a collection of action set pieces? Is that what that franchise has boiled down to now? I felt it. Having known that story, I was like, oh, I, yeah, I can, feel, I can mm. feel that there wasn't a cohesive story to begin with. I mean, maybe part of it has to do with the fact that it's a part one of a part two. Mm. So the story is incomplete. It's still being played out. We don't know what's next or what is really going to impact the, the, the life of the story and the characters mm. that we've, that we have experienced already in this two hours, 45 minutes. So yeah, there's a lot of really interesting layers to this with that piece of information mm. and the fact that it's a part one uh, and all the challenges that they had to make it initially. But I think if they'd plotted out the screenplay and then had time to sit back and edit it and go, oh, let's cut this character, let's cut this little subplot. Mm. Like it might have been cleaner and tighter. And I didn't feel the runtime when you, when you, you know, said how long did it run for again? 163 minutes. 163 minutes. I love how you can pull that figure out of thin air. It's always impressed me. I didn't feel the runtime. So I'll give them that. It's it's incredible, Mm. but it does seem like it's just become a collection of action set pieces and I was a little Mm. bit disappointed in the way the story played out in this one but talking about it being like a part one part Mm. two's coming I think that this is a great example of a cliffhanger done right because we've also talked about this on the podcast and I think you talked about it with the Raiders of the Lost pod guys or maybe someone else oh it was uh when I did Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse with Nick right so the two parters tend to feel like one movie cleaved in two and it leaves audiences mm. feeling really unsatisfied with the first movie because it's all about just setting up the second film. Yeah. But this one I think wraps up the first section so well 
and well enough to leave you feeling satisfied but not entirely Mm. bringing it to a close and so you're really excited for the next one. I think they did a really good job of walking the line on that. Yeah, I completely agree. And that has to do with just how the story develops and builds, but also things that happen to some characters as well. Mm. Um, You know, there's some really big choices that are made here and it just makes those films stand alone, feel like they're not holding everything until part two where everything's going to blow up and crazy. It's like, no, they did some pretty crazy stuff in part one. So I, I totally agree. They did really good job of balancing that sort of part one, part two syndrome that yes. Hollywood really suffers from yes. and has for quite some time. Or part three, four, whatever, you know, setting up a franchise. I think because this franchise is already established, they didn't need to do that. Oh, one of the, and this is a bit of a tangent, but one that Nick and I didn't talk about, which I've just thought about, mm. is how uh, poor Peter Jackson was at the hands of the studio when he came back to do the Hobbit movies they were only going to make two and then they were kind of partway through filming and they're like, oh, actually, <laughs> can you turn it into three films, please? Because we want to print more cash. <laughs> and you could really feel uh, how the films just really didn't work as a cohesive trilogy. I don't know what that accent was. I'm so sorry. You just sent me doing that Kiwi accent. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> Jesus. But, like, surely anyway. it would have been a Hollywood executive. It wouldn't be a Kiwi. Someone yeah, from well, the back farm that's just come over. And gone, <laughs> I'm really happy for their success. <laughs> Mr. Jackson. Mr. Jackson, come here, please. Oh, my God. No, it's down in like our, Kim now. We're going to lose our entire <laughs> New Zealand audience. <laughs> we love you, New Zealand. We love we, you. Oh, my goodness, we do. Um, I've almost kind of lost track of where we are now because <laughs> I t- completely derailed the conversation. Do you know it's all, it's oh. been almost 30 years since the first film, just FYI? Do you know what? That's insane. And can we just talk about how consistent this franchise has been over those 30 years since 1996 with the absolute classic Brian De Palma film? And to think that we're seven movies in and we're still like going, oh my God, the stuff we're seeing is insane and the story is so complex and we love the characters and all the rest of it. It's a franchise that somehow has got better Mm. over the years. It's matured really well. Uh, there's been a few blips in yes. there, arguably Mission Impossible 2, maybe you would say. <laughs> maybe. I would say this isn't my favourite of the bunch. What is your favourite? Do you do you have an answer for uh, that? Rogue Nation. Oh, okay. This is one of my favourites. Yeah. Fallout was pretty good too, mm. but you know I love Mia Henry Cavill appearance. Yes, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I think Rogue Nation was my favourite because the nuances of the emotional story woven in, mm. you know, Ethan's um, ex-wife or wife at the time, separ- I don't know, separated from her or isolated from her, whatever. Yes. That was really compelling. And then also mm. all the other layers and having Jeremy Renner in there and, and like Paula Patton mm. and her emotional undertones as well. Like every character had something really important. The stakes were really high. And again, they say mm. the stakes are really high in this one. They are, I guess, I found that one a hard pill to swallow in this film. Was it because the antagonist was not particularly tangible because it was yes. artificial intelligence. Do you think that? I was going to ask if we can say that because it's if it's a spoiler or not, but the enemy here is AI and mm. that feels contemporary and timely, obviously, but it felt yes. uninspired to me in terms of mm. a villain. It's a very silly name, the entity. And I think my eyes, <laughs> my, I think my eyes rolled harder and harder every time they said it and they said it a goddamn lot. They did. I wish it was something that I caught 
and I counted. Yeah. <laughs> they said the entity so many times. The On entity. a second watch, I think I might count them. I think I might count them for you. Yeah, I don't know. That was unbelievable to me because I think S.A. Morales was set up to be the big villain and he has quite high emotional stakes as well in terms of his mm. past relationship with Ethan. Have we ever seen that on screen before? I meant to ask you that. That whole backstory of between him and Ethan Hunt, which, again, we don't want to spoil, has mm. that was that ever on screen or is this just something they've just made up and been like, oh, this is Ethan's past? It's a retconned pre-IMF okay. look into yeah. Ethan's life. Yeah. So much so. I'm glad you brought that up because even visually how it was represented, I was getting confused and I thought they were flashing back to the first Mission Impossible mm. movie because how they had filmed it, the cobblestones, a bit of mist, it felt very much like mm. those opening scenes of the first Mission Impossible. Yeah. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. They're taking us back there. But no, it was it was prior to. So I had to just get my yeah. head into gear and realise what they were trying to reveal. They've made up this thing and just gone, here's a bit of Ethan Hunt's backstory, seven movies mm. in. Yeah. Now we need a bit of backstory. We realise we haven't told you much about this man <laughs> 30 years on. Here's his backstory. It involves this guy and this guy's back. He's back. And, but he wasn't formidable enough for me to be concerned that he was there. He was more of a puppet. Yeah, I feel that. And I wonder whether there's more to his menace in part two. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like maybe there's more that's going to be revealed. The only thing that I really don't want to see is if the entity takes on like a human form or something. <laughs> you know, I just think that's going to be <laughs> ridiculous. Age, Age of Ultron style. Yeah, Age of Ultron style. Um, God, no strings. Whatever happened in in The Hobbit where the, the necromancer is kind of like Sauron and you can kind of see the silhouette of the person. Mm -hmm. anyway, that's just why I'm bringing up The Hobbit so many times in this episode <laughs> is beyond me. <laughs> If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Do you want to talk a bit about the characters a bit more? Yeah. I've got a question about Tom Cruise. Is he a real human being? <laughs> That's what I want to know. Because <laughs> he's an insane person. <laughs> the stuff he puts his body through for our entertainment yeah. is just utterly insane. What an artist. But do you think? 
that's what makes these films so exciting to watch because we know that because we know what he did like when they released that footage of him driving a motorcycle off a cliff in Norway everybody lost their minds they were like oh my god (laughs) and you had a good story about that tell me why they filmed that first Oh, yes. Okay. Oh, gosh. I got all nervous when you were like, you have a story? I'm like, I'm drawing blanks, drawing blanks. <laughs> yes. So it's quite full on, actually. So <laughs> Tom Cruise was saying that they filmed his jump in Norway first. First day of filming sort of thing. That That's, that's how soon on. Because he goes, he said, if I die, then they can rewrite the story and carry on. If we did that stunt you know, partway through five weeks in, whatever, at the end of the production, because it's too complicated and whatever, and we've got all this work to do. He said that there would be no movie because then I would disappear. And obviously films get get made out of chronological order. Mm. And so you think that's really smart. Obviously he's a producer, so he's on the hook. He's the lead <laughs> yeah. actor. And he's like, yeah, first day of filming, do my jump in case yeah. I die so they can carry on without Ethan Hunt yeah. if they need to. <laughs> Give him his sainthood now. Saving cinema, Honestly, for sake. Saving cinema. He saved cinema two years in a row now with Top Gun Maverick <laughs> and now Mission Impossible. Nobody's going to let that go, are they? The king of cinema. King of cinema. I mean, that's going to – he saves cinema. He's not the king that's, of cinema. Goodness. That's a bit much. Goodness. That's a bit much. <laughs> yeah, well, he's, he's undoubtedly the star of the show Yeah, isn't he, obviously? Yes, but he is competing against some pretty loud voices in this, Na- namely the scene stealer in Hayley Atwell yes. and her character, Grace. I mean, you referenced how much you loved her in this. Yes. Like, you talked about how we're being introduced to a backstory of Ethan for the first time seven movies in. Yeah. It's no mean feat to to have a new character seven movies in that is such a focus to the story yeah. and interact so much with the principal cast to hook you in. You just love seeing them on screen and you wish that they had been in more Mission yeah. Impossible movies to date. You know, wow. She's so compelling. Grace is a thief, a professional thief, thief in the mm. movie, thief of a hearts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that. And Peter Gray, uh, one of our friends who we've had on Popcorn Powers the last month or so, he was saying how, uh, the character of Grace is is going to be claimed by the gays, uh, that strong female character. You can't have her. We want her too. <laughs> well, he She's got in there everyone. first. He claimed it. She's for everyone. Yeah, right. Share her. I'll fight you. We'll fight you. <laughs> um, not only does Hayley Atwell hold her own in action, and we've seen her do action before, you know, you think about E. Hmm. Carter and the Avengers movies, the Marvel movies. Yes. But her comedic timing, as I said, is off the charts good. So sharp. She's so sharp. So sharp. Mm. Absolutely fantastic. Her chemistry with Tom Cruise is undeniable. Yeah. And, yeah, she stole the show. I just cheered every time she was on screen and she was just so charismatic and charming Mm -hmm. and she was sexy and she kicked ass and I thought this is exactly what we want in a a female action star, like honestly. And vulnerable when she needed to be too. Yep, Yep. absolutely. Speaking of vulnerability, I really want to call out Pom Clementieff because she played a henchman called Paris, henchwoman, henchman, Mm. whatever you want to call her. But she gave a surprisingly emotional performance for a henchwoman, man, henchperson. I was obsessed with her. (laughs) We'll settle on the terminology. Minion. (laughs) Minion. (laughs) Um, She was brutal. Her her yes. stunt work is incredible. But yeah, mm. but also her emotional performance was heartbreaking. Yeah, it was really surprising. For an evildoer, it was really, mm. really heartbreaking. Yeah, outside of Hayley Atwell 
Pom just had me just bowing down. You could tell that she was having the time of her life. Yeah. Like she's been wanting to play a role like this for so long. I've I've seen her in interviews. She goes, this is what I've been working towards. Mm. And she, she just plays maniacal insanity so well. Mm. I mean, when you compare her performance in Guardians of the Galaxy as Mantis, she's just this happy-go-lucky, a yeah. bit ignorant and whatever. But here it just shows her range as to what she's capable yeah. of and her intensity on screen is utterly terrifying and I just loved seeing her at work. Yeah, 100%. Uh, Rebecca Ferguson is also back mm. and she's used to raise the emotional stakes even higher, which mm. I thought was strange given in the last film Ethan Hunt was still sort of hung up on his ex-wife, Michelle Monaghan. Oh, yeah, you know, that's right. Last we saw, I mean, not not hung up on her. I guess in Rogue Nation he was a bit more like pulling on the heartstrings. But, but mm. yeah, in Fallout she was still there. And so I found it quite strange that they used Rebecca Ferguson as sort of a romantic interest. I don't know if it's referenced in the film and I missed it, but do we know how many years have passed between Fallout and Dead Reckoning? Because that might play part in the fact that, he seems to have moved on so freely, maybe? That's a good question. That's a good question. Yeah. And whether they've mm. worked together during that time again? I think she's quite she's quite a free agent. Obviously, mm. she used to work for the MI6 and, you know, she's free and whatever. And he has to go find her in the Arabian Desert or something. So <laughs> she's kind of all over the place. So yeah. I think maybe it's trying to show the passing of time and and they do have these sort of flings encounters. Yeah. Um, with one another. But can can I share a piece of trivia that I only stumbled on just before uh, we we jumped on together to record this? Do. You know how she wore the eye patch towards the beginning of the movie when she was pew-pewing with the mm-hmm. sniper? So I just thought that was just another really awesome camp layer of this movie that it leans into. No, but she's worn that Do you before, know? hasn't she? Oh, I don't recall whether she's worn the thing well anyway it backs up the reason behind it Mm. even more if she has wanted in the franchise before and i can't remember she at rebecca ferguson can't wink so that she can't yeah she can't wink to do what snipers do to look through the little (laughs) keyhole thing so they had to put a an eye patch on yeah and it's used to great dramatic effect if you ask me oh that's that's amazing what a story yeah that's cool yeah i can wink wink (laughs) don't make me find it Judge, judge people who can't do such simple things as well. Oh, that was great. I did my whole face. <laughs> yeah, very animated. A la Jim Carrey wink. Yeah. You put your whole body behind exactly. that one. <laughs> Vanessa Kirby is also back, which I was very excited about. She's so, so, so good, uh, but woefully underutilized in this film. It's, I actually felt the same with Rebecca Ferguson at times. Mm. I think Hayley Atwell, rightly so, she was great addition to the franchise, but I think such strong women and characters of Vanessa Kirby and Rebecca Ferguson mm. kind of had to play second fiddle to Hayley Atwell. So you felt the same yeah. with the White Widow yes. uh, in this and too. And I think they felt the need to have her there, obviously, because of her popularity in the last movie. She was so good. Mm. And I'm so She's glad brilliant. she was there because she does such great work. And in this she does mm. great work as well for the, the small amount of time that she's in it. Um, but it just felt like she was too big to be there again there's just too many big characters competing for all this space that there isn't Mm. enough room if that makes sense 
Yeah, and I guess it brings back to the point that the little piece of information that you discovered, uh, courtesy of Simon Pegg, that there was no <laughs> script and trying to like squeeze in all these beloved characters uh, that work thematically and are, and are really well loved mm. and just maybe not making them work as effectively as you would hope to see because yeah. we're greedy audiences. We're greedy as an audience. When we love a character, we just want more of yeah. them. And I couldn't agree more that The White Widow is one of my favourite additions yeah. to this franchise in its recent film. And she's so deliciously wicked. Isn't she? Isn't she? Just like not yeah. quite evil but just a bit naughty. She loves <laughs> it. And she revels in it, you know. Yeah. Like she's really, really good at that. Um, and, again, totally. she brings it here. And she also, without giving too much away, has to sort of a different character too yes yeah. she does that so bloody well too she's just amazing Vanessa Kirby she is that that has to have been one of my favorite sequences in the movie and and part of that it was definitely her performance and what she had to do the task that she had at hand so yeah it's just really really fun stuff that this movie leans into I feel like there's too many characters for us to cover <laughs> in this character yeah section. we're just kind of getting more mm -hmm. bits and bits of characters not don't really have yeah. well I wouldn't say don't have much substance but there's not really much well, they were evil they were cool they punched stuff really <laughs> well it's like <laughs> we did touch on S.A. Morales very quickly as Gabriel oh, yeah. like I said I did find him very underwhelming as a villain more like the main villain's puppet and we never really got to see the main villain. I'm still curious as to what else they will bring into part two. Uh, but until then, we're just kind of being yeah. left a little um, underwhelmed, I suppose. And obviously we said Simon Pegg and Ving Rhames are back as Ethan's team. I'm just such a fan of Simon Pegg's work. So I'm, I'm loving seeing him in this franchise. Again, I felt like he wasn't in it all that much. I feel like all these people were there but not in it all that much. Did I fall asleep? <laughs> I don't know. Or maybe you, your eyes were stuck rolled in the back of your head after you heard the entity for the 17th time and you just couldn't roll them back and you missed some stuff. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. All right. Well, let's move on, I guess, arguably to the main event about this movie. Let's talk about some of the stunts and the action. Mm -hmm. I just want to start with how much I just love the campy silliness of the masks and the mask reveal yeah like it it just happens time and time again and to be honest it gets me every time yeah. and i just i just love it and it's it's a really nice nod honoring the its tv series roots yeah so i'm glad that that red thread of the whole who's behind the mask or is it a mask and there's even some gags here where people are trying to take masks off people's faces because <laughs> they think it's someone else and i mean yeah, it's, it's quite funny. Yeah, exactly. But they did throw in another machine broken moment, which they've done quite a bit before, I think, where the machine starts making the mask and then it breaks and it's like, oh, no, what are we going to do? Oh, maybe that's when I had a little micro sleep because I can't remember that moment. Yeah. Well, Ethan was supposed, it's a to, classic. Ethan was supposed to have a mask and he, he couldn't get one. So someone had to do something solo. Someone oh, had right. to do something solo in the somewhere with the something. <laughs> because we can't reveal. <laughs> Because <laughs> we're on a on a no spoiler NDA, people. Because we want you to experience this for the first time without us blurting out some cool stuff. Tom Cruise will come after us. He will. He can I just say he'll come. He came after so many people in this movie. I've never seen him run more. Oh yeah, in a movie in my life. Like eat your heart out, chariots of fire. <laughs> like there's there's more running in this movie than a running movie. Yeah. Well, you've got to have the Tom Cruise run in there somewhere. He knows yeah, but it's he, his moment. 
It is. That's his trademark. A Tom Cruise run. How fast do you reckon he can run? I don't know. I don't know how fast people run. It's just, a, it was an empty question. They should get a speedometer out and test it one day. That'd be great. 100%. Do you know, this is one of 10 movies that Christopher McQuarrie and Tom Cruise are working on together or have worked on together. What a pair. In their career. So you can see that that dynamic and that trust makes mm-hmm. for some really great action sequences. And ever since Christopher McQuarrie shared that footage of Cruise riding off the cliff in Norway, we've been <laughs> salivating to see what he's going to bring to this movie. And I'd actually mm-hmm. rate, I don't know if it's because we've already seen it so much before the film came out, but I'd actually rate the car chase through the streets of Rome as the most exciting and, and technically brilliant sequences that I've seen on film for a long time. Oh, gosh, I could not agree with you more, Lee. And I, I, I had a feeling that we were going to be on the same page there. You think in through marketing material that you've seen it all, you've been teased here and there, mm. but nothing can prepare you for that ride through Rome in that little electric Fiat. Yes. You know, like, holy shit. It has to be one of the best car chase sequences I've ever seen on film. Like just hands down. And then knowing insane. that Tom Cruise did most of the stunts himself. Yeah. Just with makes, with Haley. Yeah. It just mm. makes it that much more exciting to watch I think when you know the stakes are so much higher you know it's not CGI you know it's not green screen because you know green screens can trick our brains to a certain degree but I think Mm. cinema goers are now a lot more savvy to what goes into making a film in this age of social media and I think in some ways just subconsciously it takes you out of it just a little bit because you know it's not real and I mean, like, this isn't real, obviously. It's a very controlled stunt. Everything. Yes, it is. <laughs> well, what are you talking about? It's real, but it's very controlled. It's real to an extent. It's very <laughs> controlled. So, you know, like, it, but, but just knowing that he did it himself really ups that level, ups that ante and makes it that much more thrilling to watch. And you know what? When, it, when something in filmmaking is done to such a high standard, it makes other films near it that have tried and failed so spectacularly it just makes them stand out Mm. i mean this is the second car chase through rome that we've had this year in movies what was the other one um yes uh lee a fast x which i had not seen (laughs) because i was busy birthing a human (laughs) you're busy birthing a human i'll allow it (laughs) but that car chase through rome is utterly ridiculous and i it's it's stupid it's dumb it's fucking can i ask you even worse than them going to space in a car do you know what? <laughs> Somehow I'm more bothered by the car chase in Rome okay. in Fast X than I am them going to fucking space in the in Fast X. All right, Nine. I need to see this ASAP. Oh, you really do. But then when you compare it to the craftsmanship of, of Mission Impossible, mm-hmm. Dead Reckoning Part 1, you're like, that's how you do a car chase. Everyone, that's what you, that is the benchmark. <laughs> and it must be terrifying for filmmakers to be like, what are they, what are you doing to us? We can't compete with this. Can I ask you, does it make it look like Jason Momoa on a tricycle? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bling, bling. I'll get your little dog too. That's basically <laughs> it in comparison. Um, i got to say the yeah. climactic train sequence in the finale of this film too mm. had me holding my breath. Moment after moment, they get thrown in the air. The train carriage gets thrown in the air, hold themselves off the ground while the train's going. Of course, there's the there's the fights on top of the trains too. It's just like in, out, round, underneath the train. Like it's all happening. It's very, very exciting. And I just found that such a great way to end the film. 
oh, I couldn't agree more. There's something so exciting about films that take you to really tight spaces like train carriages because they have to be so inventive in where they put the camera, how they move it, how they block it. But then when you start derailing a train and blowing stuff up and putting them on the roof and all that sort of stuff, it's like, you know, how do they pull this off? It's so impressive. And it's such an unrelenting set piece that ends this part one. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, how are we going to endure this again in a part two and all the word from i mean from the filmmakers they're they're there to blow up through hyperbole but they're like you haven't seen anything yet and i'm just like hold on just let me sit down (laughs) let me sit down for a second but also the train sequence there were moments after moment and you think it's done and then it's not and then they're Mm. holding your breath and then they might be safe and then they're not safe and then they might be safe and it just goes on and on and on and it could almost go on for too long it's just so, somehow it doesn't. No, but it's just so exciting to watch. So you're there for it. You're along for the ride. And speaking of you know action sequences in such small spaces, I want to call out Pom Clementif's fight scene with Tom Cruise oh. in this tiny little alleyway in Venice. Mm. And my God, it's so good. And let's just forget the other guy that was there. I don't even know. He doesn't even rate him. Into. I don't even remember. <laughs> I don't even know <laughs> Their fight sequence was just so good. And you think, how do you get a camera in there too? Because it's literally the width mm. of one human being. That's how tight yeah. this space was. It was tight. And they just have this high-intensity fight scene that's just incredible to watch. And, again, so technically brilliantly done. Honestly, these human beings known as actors <laughs> – they just do incredible things for our entertainment. Yeah. And I was just so thoroughly entertained in this movie. And I can't wait to watch it again. Do, do you think this has will have really good rewatch value for you? I think so. I might start to think it's a bit long. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair <laughs> if enough. I watch it a second time, I don't know. I will watch it a second time. I absolutely will watch it at home. Yeah, I think just, again, coming back to that story, the little bugbears in the story that bothered me, it, really took it down a notch for me anyway that's all right lee anyway that's okay anyway <laughs> anyway listen to see my face right now i'm just really unimpressed <laughs> i'm like mm. not impressed disappointed lee. look it wasn't terrible okay let me say that it wasn't shit like it's worth watching the action sequences yeah. alone but i just worry that as i said earlier it's become a vehicle for action sequences and the story's just taken a back seat yeah it it, it it's reminiscent of how John Wick Chapter 4 felt earlier this year. I I think that John Wick Chapter 4 suffered at the hands of that statement more. It definitely felt much more disjointed and just, oh, now let's go here to punch some things. Let's go here to shoot some things. Mm-hmm. Let's go here to drive around a big circle called the Arte Triomphe for 15 minutes and do crazy shit. I think that Mission Impossible was definitely way more cohesive than John Wick Chapter 4, but they were equally as fun because they yeah. just went to insane territories from an action uh, suspense perspective. Yeah, look, this film is predictably off the charts, balls to the wall, big screen <laughs> excitement because of Cruz's <laughs> because of Cruz's dedication to practical stunts. That's what it comes down yeah. to. Hundred percent, and that's watch. what he's known for. This is his legacy as a filmmaker, I think, and and MI will be that pedestal of what he's brought to the to the cinema landscape and it comes down to his insanity basically to throw himself off cliffs and shit. That and Maverick. That and Maverick, yeah. 100%. He can't go back to just doing dramatic roles anymore. Forget a few good men. Oh, see, I really hope that is in his future though. <laughs> you know, 
a few good men with a few action sequences thrown in would have been a completely different movie. It could have been, oh, my God, like a, a courtroom brawl <laughs> and, a, and a train comes through the side of the building and, you know. <laughs> Jack Nicholson pulls off a mask and it's Tom Cruise. And <gasps> if you can't handle the truth, I'm really Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> that is the version of A Few Good Men that we didn't know we needed. Exactly. <laughs> well, on, on that note, Lee, do we want to reveal our uh, wrap-up of Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 and our rating, sure. my friend? It's your podcast. Would you like to go first? Yeah, sure. Well, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 is one insane ride. Move over, John Wick, because Ethan Hunt has stolen your action movie star crown for 2023. But really, had he ever lost it? Tom Cruise is all time here and proves that he is still a bona fide movie star with no intention to slow down with his ambitious filmmaking. The action is slick, unrelenting, and absolutely wild, and somehow builds and builds over 163 minutes against a terrifying and compelling story that we are only halfway through. The MVP of this one is Hayley Atwell, whose injection of charisma and comedy surprised and delighted. Gosh, there is so much to love about this one. Go see it on the biggest screen possible and celebrate the shared similar experience with your friends. I'm going to rate Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 for Popcorn Kernels. Well, Mission Impossible number seven is an exhilarating ride that prioritises incredibly impressive action over story. And that's okay most of the time. A lacklustre villain lets the side down and the stakes are higher in the death-defying stunts than in the emotional story. But you really have to admire the filmmaking team's dedication to crafting an entertaining cinema experience that is 100% worth the ticket especially for the absolutely outstanding, spectacular cast of women that are in this film. Oh, yeah. I'm going to give it four popcorn kernels out of five as well. There we go. We're on the same page. Back together. The band's back together. We're in agreement. This is all fantastic. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 is in Australian cinemas from July 13 with advanced screenings from July 8. And that's it for another episode of Popcorn Pals. I was joined by the one and only... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, I had to do it again. Lee Livingstone from Popcorn Podcast. Of course, you're from Popcorn Podcast. You're from here. Yeah, you're from around here. Lee, when will you be back? This is so much fun. I don't know. Whenever you'll have me back. All right, I'll check my. I'll check with my people. My people will get <laughs> my in touch. People with will you. get in touch with your people. I'm. I'm. <laughs> yeah. I'm scared that there won't be a place for me with all these incredible guest hosts that you've been having. Oh my gosh. Back of the line, everybody else. You tell me. I know. I've been listening with excitement. I can't wait to listen to some more episodes. Oh, good. Well, we've got some really exciting stuff coming up, a few interviews and lots of, I mean, summer's just about to start. We've got Barbie Oppenheimer. Uh, Lots to look forward to in the coming weeks, friends. And as always, thanks so much for listening. And do you want to take this last bit, Lee? Oh, we'll catch you next time. (laughs) Thank you. If you enjoy our episodes, head over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe. While you're there, we would love you to rate us and leave a review. You can also find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Amazon Alexa, and where all good podcasts are found. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.